since we got to set the clock back an hour, I get an extra hour for the sermon time, so I'm very excited to bring you God. Okay, uh, since misery in the room, we'll see how it rolls. If you have your Bibles, let's take it the next scripture. Let's take a look at it. Go to Proverbs chapter 29. I'm going to give you a verse that has probably been most twisted in pulpits than any other verse. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. You probably have heard this verse before. Uh, you probably have sat under a preacher who has preached this verse. Listen to it again. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. I'm reading from the New American Standard. In the King James, it reads, where the people have no vision, they perish. But the New American Standard says they are unrestrained. Happy is the one who keeps the law. So if you were reading this verse, if this was in your devotion, perhaps you take a proverb a day like many do, and you were on the 29th of this month and you were to read this verse, you would look at that and you would start looking at some of those key words. That's how we start to break down scripture. One of the first words that ought to jump out to you is that word vision, where there is no vision. Well, when we talk about vision, I want you to know that here at PCBC, God has given us a very clear vision for things that we are to be about as the people of God in our city. We have a vision for the lost. That's who's your one. God has given us a burden that we're not here for ourselves. We are here to make a difference in this world and to introduce someone in our life that needs to know the Jesus that's changed our life. We also have a vision for a walk with God one-on-one, -on -one, that it isn't just a Sunday morning show up for church, but that every day we're spending time one-on-one -on -one with God. That's a part of our vision. You know our vision statement as a church that we exist in our community to help them know God through Jesus, to become family, to know the best for their physical family, but also that they might experience a church family. Uh, there are a lot of people who've had a very dysfunctional church life. They come from churches. We've had some history in our church life in the past where we weren't so functional, and, and it caused some hurt and some pain in some people's lives. And we seek to be a body of believers that are not perfect, but can walk together as family. The third part of our vision is that we are not here for us to be a holy country club. We are here for this world to impact the world for the glory of God. That's a part of our vision. Another part of our vision at PCBC is built out of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says we would have the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ as Savior. It's not just a ticket to heaven. We receive the Holy Spirit in us. And he said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So for us, our vision, Jerusalem, while Jerusalem was a city, our city is so huge and there's so many churches in this city, Jerusalem for us is how do we impact our neighborhood? Why did God put us right here in this part of this city? We should be shepherding and ministering to those who live within the shadow of this steeple. That would be our Jerusalem. Our Judea would be our city. Oklahoma County is the third largest land mass in the whole United States. That's a that's a big chunk of real estate to get your arms around, and we aren't the only church in this city. But there are things that we can be doing to impact the city where we live. And so we have different ministries for that. Some areas, how do we impact our nation? And we have chosen to adopt two churches in New York City, and we go there faithfully, we support them financially, and we will continue and, and investing there in New York City. And then, of course, into the earth. We go to Zambia. We're expanding into Burundi through John Niendiko's ministry. We uh, support pastors in Venezuela. We continue to go to Costa Rica. We'll go wherever God opens the door because that's what Acts 1-8 says. That's our vision. 
We also have a vision to make a difference in our world by uh, building bridges into people's lives. We call it community bridges. It's a marketplace evangelism strategy where we are creating different ministries as businesses to impact people, customers, employees, and find ways to bridge into a culture that has separated itself from the church. As a matter of fact, tonight we kick off our newest uh, venture, which is called Community Bridges Parenting Services. Now we will, as a body of believers, be providing services for any woman who's pregnant or has had a child up to 12 months of age. Instead of that going through Planned Parenthood, faith-based ministries like ours can provide those services and bless women through a pro-life movement. That is a new opportunity. All those things are part of our vision here at PCBC. But is that what God was speaking about in Proverbs 29 and verse 18? You may have a vision for your life. You may have a vision for your future. Uh, you may have a vision as a, as a certain group that you're a part of, whether it's an athletic team or another social group. You might have visions. Is that what God was speaking about in Proverbs 29, 18? If that's what you assign to this verse, this verse preaches differently than what God intended for it to mean. Let me give you an example of that. I'm going to show you, again, a well-meaning pastor. He's a doctor before his name. He has studied in the universities, in the seminaries. He has the doctorate title, and he's going to take this verse, and he's going to preach it like many have preached it, and he's going to miss what God was saying in the verse. But I want you to hear it. It sounds really good. And he has some good things to say. It's just twisted scripture. Take a look at this. All right. Where there's no vision I'm talking about today, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And that is so true. We can have a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts. But when you don't have a vision, something that is clear that's set before you, you will struggle. When I've had the greatest struggles is when I've lost sight of my vision. When I've had something out there and I've gotten distracted, lost sight, and I've struggled. It's as simple as keeping your vision set before you. Staying in that place. You notice that when you travel, there are signs along the road. I-55, I-10, it lets you know that you're still on track. You need to set markers in your life to keep you focused on a vision. P.K. Bernard, that says a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. Vision is the bridge between your present and your future. How do you get there? vision. You don't get that by just wandering and, and complaining and just searching. You set a course through vision. Now vision is not something that you can see. When you set a vision, it's something that's out there. You're believing for. You're having faith for. You're hoping for. That's vision. If it was something that you could see, then you would struggle because it's definable. It's those things that we can't see that gives us hope. The hope of a better future, a hope of a better world, a better life. That's vision. You listen into that sermon, he has some really good things to say. It'd be great at a halftime or right before the kickoff of a football game. 
It would be great to motivate you about your goals and where you're going and your vision. As a matter of fact, he said some really interesting things. He said this, he said, I've always struggled when I quit focusing on my vision. He said, keep your vision before you. Set markers so that you don't lose your way. These are all good things. He goes on to say, a man without vision is a man without a future. Vision is the bridge between your present and your future. Set a course through your vision. Believe for it. Have faith for it. All those things are great motivational truths. The problem is it had nothing to do with Proverbs 29, 18. Maybe Matthew 6, 33. Maybe Acts 1, 8 and some other passages. But Proverbs 29, 18 is not talking about your vision. So what is it talking about? Well, let's go back and let's remember. As you study the Word of God, if you're not careful... The Word of God can say things that God never said. You say, how is that possible? It's because of how we interpret or handle the Word of God. That's why Paul told Timothy, be careful that you accurately handle Scripture. That you don't just read it and think you know what it says. Discover what is God saying. So let's do that. Remember, we have context as boss. Anytime you're in Scripture, you have these four things to look through. You need to look at the scriptural context. What's being said in the whole passage, in verses before it, in verses after it? What is being said throughout all of Scripture? Does that validate what you think it's saying here in other places of Scripture? That would be scriptural context. Historical context. What was going on in that moment? Why was God speaking into that situation? Cultural context. What was being practiced in those days? And then what I call linguistic context or grammatical. Looking at the real original intent of a word or the tense of that word in that original language may have much more meaning than our translated words that we're reading in our Bibles. So let's dig in and let's take a look. What is the first thing that should jump out of you, or jump out at you in Proverbs 29 and verse 18? Well, let's look at the verse again. The first thing that ought to jump out is where there is no vision. All right, so what's being addressed here? Is God saying, if you don't have a vision for life, if you don't have good goals, you're going to perish, your life's going to go nowhere? Well, that is a truism, but that isn't what's being discussed here. For you to know what God's saying, you better dig in to the Word. So let's dig in. Let's look at that word, vision. If you were to dig that out in the original Hebrew, that word for vision literally means an oracle from God. A word that comes from God. So what he's saying here is, where the people don't have a word from God, they perish. It isn't where people don't have good goals, aren't striving to become better. It's not talking about your goals. It's talking about a vision sent from heaven to his creation. God's revealed word, his will. We look at this, it is a divine communication that requires response. It's not just information given to us from heaven. It's God giving us a vision that we might respond to it, that we might have life. Jesus said, I came that you might have abundant life. He didn't say eternal life. Eternal life is a fringe benefit of knowing the Lord. But he said, I came to give you abundant life. You cannot know that abundant life if you don't respond to his vision. You can have the coolest vision in all the world. You can have this great vision to become something great for God. But if your vision isn't this vision you lose in the end what is this vision it is God speaking to his creation it's a word from him it's not a goal I create 
In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see this concept of visions, uh, communication from heaven. It says that in those days, Samuel, who would be a prophet, a boy named Samuel was attending to the servant of the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. So this word vision here is a biblical word. It's just not one we're very used to. You have to go back and look in the whole counsel of God's word to understand this word vision. And it's speaking of God speaking to his creation. So if you go back to Proverbs 29 verse 18, I've got to ask this question. What has God spoken to me? What is the vision that God has given to me today, tomorrow, and the days to come? What has he already revealed? We'll look at that in just a moment. But if we don't understand what vision means, we make it mean what we know it to mean. Well, it's me having a goal, a godly goal, becoming more like Christ, which are all good goals, but that's not what he was speaking of. He was saying wherever a people are not looking to the revealed word of God, there are always going to be problems. They will live unrestrained. Sometimes, if you're studying scripture, it's good to look at other translations, how uh, that comes into our language. Uh, for example, let me put some on the screen. I read to you that from the King James Version, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. You can read that to mean your vision, not God. If you were to look into others, and these, there are all kinds of online resources, you can see more powerfully understand, uh, you can more powerfully understand what's being said. NIV, where there is no revelation. The people cast off restraints. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Are you starting to see what's really being communicated here? Radically different than you having a vision to become the best you you can be. Now, that'll sell a lot of books at Mardell's. But that isn't what's being taught in Scripture. It's about connecting with God through what God has declared for my life. Now, here's the deal. One of two things is happening in your heart in your life and in this room. You are either living under that vision, living under what God has declared to be his will for your life, or you're not. And if you're living under that vision, it brings boundaries, it brings healthy borders, holy borders. And when I live in God's design, I experience the best in life. But here's the problem. Satan doesn't want you to have the best in life. So how is he going to rob you of the best for your life? He's going to rob you of the vision. He's going to rob you of God's revealed truth, God's word for your life. And where you don't have the word in your life, the Bible says you will live unrestrained. The word unrestrained means to run wild, to be out of control. And if you look at our culture today, that's exactly what's happening. For decades now, there's been an erosion in this country. When we were founded, we declared that we were one nation under, we declared that. Today, you no longer declare that. Today, you're no longer allowed really to speak to that. Even though it's there, we have pulled away from that. We don't want that restraint. We don't want that tie. Our nation doesn't. We pulled it out of our schools. We pulled it out of the marketplace. We pulled it out of our own homes. Most Christians aren't even spending any time in the Word. And now we wake up. We live in a day of chaos, violence, destruction, devastation. Thinking that we are advancing, thinking that we're more enlightened, we actually have more issues today because we're running wild and unrestrained. 
A nation that loses its boundaries will happen in its culture just like we saw in New Orleans when those boundaries that were protecting it from the ocean saw mass devastation. Without boundaries, there will always be destruction. And so God is warning that a people who choose to remove themselves from the vision, from God's design as declared in his word, you will have destruction. Let's take a look at it. That's the second point. Look again in verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, or the people are unrestrained. We can see that throughout. Now we're going to look at scriptural context. You're in Proverbs 29. Go up to verse 1. Look at the very first thought. The wisdom that's being recorded in this particular proverb is already starting in verse 1. If you want to know what is happening in verse 18, look at the verses around it. So go to verse 1, and here's what it says. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. The proverb here is that if you stiffen your neck, what does it mean to stiffen your neck? It's to bow up. Uh, You ever do that with your parents? I don't recommend it. Am I right, Houston? My son's here. Uh, No, don't ever go there. Did I do it with my parents? Yeah, it didn't last very long. didn't work very well. When we stand up, we're saying, I'm going to be the boss, not you. Well, the Bible's saying if you do that to God's vision, God's word, if you say, I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do what I want to do, get ready for the spanking. It's coming. Get ready for life to disappoint you. Get ready for it not to go well. Look around today. Look at the news. Look at what is happening in a nation that wants to be, used to be one nation under God that is now one nation unrestrained. There are no restraints. In this nation, what is popular is whatever we want to do. Do it. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you think you should do, if that's what you feel you should do, do it without restraints. Look at what's happening. Look at what's happening to our nation. Look what's happening to our cities. Look at what's happening in the streets. Look at what's happening in our schools. Look at what's happening in our homes. Chaos in land. Why? Because we are stiff-necked. We are rejecting the vision. What God said, that's old-fashioned. That's archaic. That's churchy. No, that's God trying to provide his best for you. And when you stiff-arm it, and when you stiffen up and say, I'll do it my way, you will get what your way brings. Destruction, devastation, it isn't what you think you're going to get. In Proverbs 11, verse 14, I'm just going to give you several scriptures. It says, where there is no guidance, no barriers, no boundaries, the people will fall. But there is abundance, in the abundance of counselors, there is great victory. It's saying if you live a life without boundaries, if you're living a life without being under the vision, the word of God, you will walk into a ditch. If you have people in your life that matter, if you have the counsel of God and and godly counselors, people who care about your life and they speak into it, they can keep you from stepping into stupid. We all do it. We all do it. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6 says this, "In this, in those days, days of the judges, there was no king in Israel. There's a tendency in our nation to believe that if we can just change who's in the White House or who's in our state government or we can look through political channels, we can change our world. And I do believe leadership matters. I do believe we should be engaged. We have a stewardship as citizens of this nation to be engaged. And next week, 
I hope you're engaging in the stewardship that you have. But I want you to understand, kings and presidents and senators can't fix this mess. They can do better. They can provide a better world. They can help in that. But it is only the vision from God that can bring life to this country. They were living in a day. There wasn't a king that they could look to. Remember how they got there? When they left Egypt, God was leading them. He was their leader. They weren't in a democracy. They were looking to the divine God to be their leader. They didn't get to vote. They lived under the vision. They lived under God's will. And then they got to a point where they said, oh, we got the promised land. God, you delivered us from bondage. Thank you, but we want to be like other nations now. We want a king. We want somebody who can lead us. God gave them what they asked for. And they had to learn that politics don't fix it. No matter who you pick, no matter who goes in there, if you're not under the vision of God, you lose. They lost their way. And the result, when we are not under the vision of God, look at what it says. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's how we live today. I feel for our school teachers who cannot lead in the classroom because their hands are tied and whatever anybody wants to do must be honored. We have chaos. I feel for a nation that feels like it has to legislate everybody's way that they think is right rather than living under a vision being one nation under God. As a result, we wake up like Paul did in his day. He was a Roman citizen, and in his nation, a great enlightened nation, they started to crumble and they fell from within, just like our nation is starting to fall. What was the problem? Here's what Paul said. He said, the problem is the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in the people who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. He said, our problem is not that we haven't built a great nation, Rome. Our problem is we now are unrestrained and we now celebrate that which is unrighteous and as a result, we are under the consequences and the wrath of God. We look around today, we're modern day Rome. We are exactly like the days of Paul. There is no difference whatsoever. Why do we expect there to be a different result? Paul would go on if you read Romans chapter 1 and it gets dark and it gets ugly. He talks about because they were unrestrained, they just let everything go. It got so crazy that men would leave their natural desire for women to go after their own and same with women going after women instead of men. That there was all kinds of sexual deviations, all kinds of immorality in the culture. There was all kinds of whatever you want to do, just do it. And he said as a result, listen to what they woke up to. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that would be the vision, they became depraved in their minds and they started to do all kinds of unrighteous things, wicked things. They became greedy and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. It goes on and on and on. Does that sound like the news? Does that sound like the newspaper? Well, you don't even know what a newspaper is. That's this piece of paper document that you can go buy at 7-Eleven and it will tell you what's going on in your city. It's called a newspaper. The news reads like Romans chapter 1. Why? Because we're living unrestrained. We've stepped away from the vision, not our vision. We have a vision to be a this or that. It's not our vision that matters, it's His. What God has declared 
is best for you and me. He is the designer. He designed this. He knows how it works. He knows how you were designed to work. You need to return to the vision. Your parents and your grandparents didn't grow up with Home Depot and Lowe's. They didn't need them. They knew how to fix stuff. My generation, we grew up and we hired all that stuff out and all of a sudden we didn't know how to fix anything. We only know how to break it. Home Depot and Lowe's exist because of people like me. I don't know how to fix it. I just know how to break it. But they convinced me that I go to their store and I watch the YouTube video and I can fix anything. Liars! It is not true. And the problem is, we're broken. We broke this. Every one of us in this room is walking brokenness. And the only one who can fix it is not us being more creative, not us being more expressive, not us having our own vision for what life should be. We need to return to the one who created life. We need to return to the original vision giver and look at the manual and come to understand how we can have abundant life. Apart from that vision, we will perish. But this verse gives us another way. You don't have to live unrestrained. You don't have to live like everyone else. And to this generation, to our young people, let me encourage you. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink what's being passed on as truth today. If it isn't matching with the vision that's been given from God's Word, it is a lie. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. It doesn't matter how popular it is. Go to the Word of God and let that be a lamp to your path. Be a different generation that brings revival to this country. There is another way. For look at what it says. You don't have to live without His vision. But actually, if you will return to it, if you'll let God's Word guide you, the Bible says you will be happy. Happy is the one who returns to the law. That's not talking about legalism like the Pharisees. It's talking about somebody whose life is under the vision, whose life is in line with what God has declared. That person will be, another unfortunate word here, happy. I wish it hadn't used the word happy. I wish it would have used the word blessed. But even in that, either one, you get those words wrong too. How many people say, I just want to be happy? And so as a result, they say, well, if I want to be happy, I need to do what my flesh wants. That's what makes me happy. I struggle with that. I have struggled with that. That's what got me into a lot of trouble when I was in high school because I just wanted to be happy. You know what? As I pursued those things I thought was going to make me happy, I found that it was empty, it was a lie, and it led to brokenness in my life. They just had a reunion for our class. I'm not going to tell you which one. It's semi-embarrassing. Just this last weekend, I didn't go. But I was online looking through our Facebook page, and I've seen some of my classmates who were the studs and the studettes of my senior class. And I looked at them, and I'm not judging a book by the cover, but the cover was hurting. You could see some hard living after all these years since we graduated. Choices that were made, trying to be happy. And all those things brought us brokenness. The only thing, now this word happy, let's dig into that word happy real quick. Don't let me miss it. 
This word happy means making progress, moving forward in alignment with God. That's what that word means. You see, you're blessed when you're in line with the vision. You're blessed when you're moving forward in your faith, not moving forward in your feelings or in what culture says. That's how you're blessed. Jabez understood that. That's what we pray the very first of each month. God change us. God bless us. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. God is more concerned about you experiencing the abundant life by being under the vision than it is living unrestrained. So you get to choose. That's the beauty of God. He'll give you his word. He will give you his will. He will show you the way, the truth, and the life. And you get to choose it. You can choose this or you can choose that. You can choose to date like the world says you should date, or you can look to Scripture and see that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. You can choose to live however you want to live unrestrained, or you can say, God, you designed life. Lord, show me. Show me how to live. I close with this. It's Habakkuk. You been there lately? You been to Habakkuk? Did you even know it was in your Bible? Habakkuk. I spell it for you on the screen. Take a look at it. See if you can find it. Let's do a word search. Find Habakkuk this morning, chapter 1. I'll close with an example of somebody who is living in a day like you live in. And he's trying to figure out, God, what do I do in this mess? What do I do in this community I live in that's just nothing but chaos? What do I do? So in Habakkuk chapter 1, take a look. Verses 1 through 2, he says this. In the past, God spoke to... I'm sorry, that's Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Let me take you to Habakkuk 1. I'm going to jump ahead so you can get out of here in time. Habakkuk 1. He said, why, God, do you make me see disaster? Why is it that you make me look at destitution? Yes, there's uh, devastation and violence all around me, always before me. Strife exists and contention arises. It's like he's watching our modern-day news, isn't it? He says, every day I wake up, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. It's a mess. God, why do I have to keep looking at this? You ever get that way? I do. Why can't we just live in Mayberry again, right? He says, the reason this is is because the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. And the wicked surround the righteous. So Habakkuk can relate completely to what you and I live in today. So he doesn't just gripe to God. He just doesn't give up before God and say, oh, woe was me. He prays about it. What if we learned to pray about it like Habakkuk? Instead of griping about it, complaining about it, and watching our world fall apart, what if we did something about it? What if we returned to the vision? What if we let God's word lead our lives? What does that look like? Habakkuk prayed this. Go to Habakkuk 2 and we close. He says, so God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand at my guard post. I'm going to station myself on the watchtower. What he does here is he paints a picture of what they did to protect their cities. In those days, you would be easily conquered by an enemy if they were stronger. So what they would do is they'd build walls around their city, and they would put up towers, and they would put their leaders, their veteran warriors in those towers, and they could see where the enemy was approaching. And it would help them defend their city from being overtaken by the enemy. 
So Habakkuk says, I don't want the enemy to get this. I don't want the enemy to destroy my people, my country. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something about it. Will you? Will you do something about it? He says, so here's what I can do, what I will do. I will go to the tower. I will be one who watches over my people. I'll be one who watches over my family. I'll be one who watches for my heart and my testimony. I'll be one. And I'll be on watch. But look at what he watched for. He didn't watch for just where the enemy was going to attack. Look at what he watched for. It's beautiful. Look at it. For I will keep watch to see what he will say to me. Anybody else that was in a tower, they're watching for where's the enemy attacking so I can send down orders to protect the city. Habakkuk says, if I want victory, I need to be watching for what God wants to say to me. What if we woke up every morning, instead of looking at all the chaos, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, man, I really desire this day, or man, or having a vision for what I want to do today. What if we woke up every day like Habakkuk and said, God, today, I want to watch to see what you have to say to me. I'm going to walk one-on-one with you. Before I ever walk out in this world, before I ever walk with my friends, before I ever walk into work, I'm going to walk with you, God. Speak to me. God, may your vision be my vision. When Habakkuk went from whining to praying, God answered that prayer. If you read on in verse 3, look at what it says, and we're done. It says this. Then the Lord answered him and said, write down the vision. Write down what I'm about to declare. Write down the answer that I have for you and your people. They didn't need another king. They didn't need new policies. They needed to hear a word of God. That's what we need. And I want to challenge even the youngest in this audience More than you need a date to the prom, more than you need to be first string, more than you need this or that, you need to hear from God every single day. And when you have vision, the word from God, you will be happy. Let's pray about it. Technically, before daylight savings time, I still have an hour to go, but I'm going to let you go early. Because I'm assuming you heard what God had to say to you. I'm assuming that you had ears to hear. I'm praying that before you leave this place today, you would place yourself under the vision. Not your vision. Not a vision you want for your life. What does God want for your life? Return to the vision. Are you living unrestrained? Are you living how you want to live? Outside of God's holy design? Or are you living under God's holy design? I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here for you to experience revival. I'm here for you to be happy in Jesus. You won't ever be happy in this earth, but you can be happy in Jesus. You can be blessed in Him if you'll trust Him. It doesn't mean you won't have problems. It doesn't mean there won't be struggles. It just means you've got a peace that guards all understanding. It means that you have the favor of God because you're walking in the will of God. But if you have no vision, no word from God, your life is unrestrained. It's a mess. Would you be willing to acknowledge that like I had to as a junior in high school? I had to say to God in front of all my classmates at Revival, Lord, my life is messed up. I've been living unrestrained, but God, today I give you my life. I submitted to him. God changed my life.
I'm not perfect, but I got an abundant life. I am being perfected by Him, but that means I got a long ways to go. But I'm going in the right direction. That's why I'm happy in Jesus. Are you? Are you? If you're not, today, you can be. Today, you choose. Do you choose His vision? Or are you going to live under your vision? Are you going to live under His design or what you design? You choose. That very night... I had to humble myself and acknowledge I couldn't save myself. And I had no relationship with God, but I needed to be saved. I gave my life to Christ. Maybe there's somebody here or viewing online, you need to give your life to Christ. I would encourage you to come today or to email us online at ministry at pcbc.tv. There are others here. You've made that life-changing commitment. You gave them your life, but today your life is not under his lordship. You're living unrestrained. You need to repent like Josh let us in earlier. God, forgive me. And come back under the vision, under the word. To the young people, don't cave to an unrestrained generation. Be different in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be committed to live according to his design and say, today, Lord, I may have missed it yesterday, but today and moving forward, I'm pressing on in the center of his will. God, you are my vision. Maybe you need a church family. Maybe you have another spiritual commitment or decision you need to make. Our staff will be here. We want to minister to you. Father, in Jesus' name, be the Lord of these moments. Be the Lord of every heart. And God, return us back to you, the vision giver. Return us back to your word, the vision you have given. We ask it in Jesus' name.